The nominees for the best picture of the year are Barry Lyndon, a Hawk Film Limited production, Warner Brothers, Stanley Kubrick, producer. Dog Day Afternoon, Warner Brothers, Martin Bregman and Martin Elfand, producers. Jaws, a Universal Zanuck Brown production, Universal, Richard D. Zanuck and David Brown, producers. Nashville, an ABC Entertainment, Jerry Weintraub, Robert Altman production, Paramount. Robert Altman, producer. And One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, a fantasy films production, United Artists, Saul Zanz and Michael Douglas producers. And the winner is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Consideration. Hey, I'm Matty Price, and welcome to another episode of For Your Reconsideration. As always, our expert panel will dive deeply and look fondly at a full year in mostly American movies, ultimately deciding if that year's Oscars got it right or need a do-over. This week, we're looking at the films of 1975, including Best Picture winner One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and nominees Barry Lyndon, Dog Day Afternoon, Jaws, and Nashville, along with many other films made and released in that pivotal year. As always, our panelists will be able to present their own alternative ballot and winner. Thanks for listening and downloading. You can find this podcast through the client of your choice at duvra.com. That's D-E-W-V-R-E dot com. A great year and should be a great discussion. So join host JD, Jamie Dew. And panelists J.M. McNabb, Ryan McNeil, and, oh, me. I'm a panelist this time out. Oh, that's a switch. Uh, well, listen, this was recorded live and in the same room, face-to-face, -face, in the before times, when we all could be face-to-face. -face. Jeez, I hope I knew what I was talking about. So let's get into it. <laughs> Hey, it's JD here, and welcome to For Your Reconsideration. Let's get right to the panel. Starting on my left, we have... I'm uh, Matthew Price uh, of the MAMO podcast. I'm nominally <laughs> half of that podcast, I guess. Potentially, 49%. The MA or the MO? I'm, no, we're both the MA. <laughs> Do I need to go through this again? All right, let's... For folks that are interested, there are probably 55 episodes of Mammo that explain why it's called Mammo. So <laughs> by all means, just randomly pick one, you'll you'll find it. Um, I smell the contest. And, uh, <laughs> Identify those episodes. Uh, put them together, and what do so. they tell you? We're still working on uh, having some sort of custom prize for our contests, but we haven't gotten anything yet. <laughs> anyway, that's why. Cool. Thanks, man. I'm Ryan McNeil. My uh, <laughs> my site is thematinee.ca, which is not nearly as complicated to explain, uh, and I also host the Matinee Cast. Cool. Thanks, man. I am uh, J.M. McNabb. I am one of the hosts of uh, the Rewatchability podcast, uh, 
rewatchability.com or the iTunes or whatever fringe websites people get <laughs> podcasts on is probably there. Are you on GeoCities? <laughs> probably, yeah. We're on Angel Fire now. <laughs> it's pretty, are, pretty big. <laughs> there are a ton. I, I did a search just the other day, and there were like two sites that I've never signed up for or anything like that that were carrying the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. Which is weird. Yeah, there's lots of... Totally lots far of out. <laughs> well, we're here to talk about uh, an embarrassment of riches, I think. Um, 1975, we're going to talk about the five nominated pictures today and then we'll go around the table and we'll hear what you guys have to think whether the ballot should stay the same whether it should change uh and then from there we will um we'll hit kid ken you're scratching your chin i that's my pensive look i'm sorry okay <laughs> is that like, picking up on the mic <laughs> no 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 i was just waiting for you to say 1975 <laughs> suddenly the panel shrinks <laughs> i don't have a pipe and a monocle so the best i can do is scratch my chin <laughs> You must feel beardless. I have no idea how naked I feel. Right <laughs> Three of us have beards. One of us do how not. Do you... Let's see if you can pick that up. I'm trying to grow and it just won't grow. Are you even allowed to talk about movies? I don't think right. 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 before right. I was born, so I already. You know. here's, here's how we've come full circle. In the, in the 1980s, you weren't allowed to make them unless you had a beard. But right. now you can't talk about them. Yeah. Remember when Scorsese had the beard? Like It was like, oh, you have to have one. <laughs> We're not letting you. What, are you going to get behind the camera without a beard? Come on. You'll cut your chin in the view. That's right. Find her. That's right. You can come back when you have a beard. Most people haven't seen the photo. She was pretty quiet, but Lena Vermuller had a huge beard. Yeah, by huge. Five, Giant. Yeah. <laughs> We're running a little hot there with that beard talk. I just had to make some adjustments there. Sorry, guys. Um, so <laughs> I, I got excited. <laughs> 1975, we had uh, as your best picture that year, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. The other four nominees were uh, Jaws, Nashville, Dog Day Afternoon. And Barry Lyndon. Uh, is there a particular film that you guys want to start with? Jesus, throwing darts. Can we start with Barry Lyndon? I, sure. I would, yeah. Because I just feel like it's the easy one to talk about, at least for me. All right. How everybody else feels. Well, let's, yeah, let's let's start with. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a brief movie that's easy to <laughs> talk about. Well, I mean, in the sense that I think legitimately, if you're looking through the lens of history, it's the one that is the easiest to dismiss as like, this is the least of all the Kubrick films. It's kind of not in the same league with the other movies in this year for me. I don't know that it necessarily... It feels like a movie that they're giving him because they couldn't give it to him for 2001. Or like, they're, like, making up to him. Yeah. And sort of like, no, no, we know. We know Kubrick's a genius, so here's a movie he made. Like, it, it doesn't feel like part of the part of the same cadre. I don't know how anyone else feels. Does anybody really like Barry Lyndon? Okay, so I went into it thinking I was really going to dislike it because... I don't dislike it, but I... I guess I, I come in with this weird bias that I, for some reason I think I don't like Stanley Kubrick movies, but every time I sit down and watch one, I'm like, fuck, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty good. Yeah. Like, and, and this was no exception for me. Um, other than the fact that the narrator sometimes ground on me a little bit, um, but I suspect if, if the narration wasn't there, I would have been lost <laughs> a lot of times. Uh, yeah, I, I really liked it. I really, really like. What'd you like about it? Um, I I don't know that I could put my finger on what I liked about it because again, there's a lot of components of the movie that uh, I shouldn't like, um, or you know, based on my history, I I shouldn't like. But I found myself appreciating things that I wouldn't normally appreciate. There's a shot, for example, at one point where the camera is way up on a hill and it's a countryside, and it's just to get this uh, stagecoach or wagon or whatever you want to call it carriage, you know, going going by and. I'm watching the shot and I'm just like, Jesus Christ, like the amount of work that must went into 
you know, just thinking that up yeah, yeah. is mind-blowing to me. Yeah. Well, it won the Cinematography Oscar this year, didn't it? I think, I think it did. I think sure it was. So. And a it, lot won of four, it won four awards. So yeah, I, yeah. Did. I think one of them was Cinematography. Yeah. And it's the, it's the lenses thing, right? Like yeah. he's, it's the only movie shot candlelight in natural light. Yeah. Like where he didn't light the candlelight scenes because he, he had NASA make lenses for him that could take in enough light. So like the lenses were the size of people's heads. Wow. Yeah. I, I remember in like in film school when like you know film 101 class like the first year there when when you got to sort of cinematography I remember seeing stills from Barry Lyndon they taught us that to sort of teach us about like lens speeds and yeah. and sensitivity for light and they talked about how yeah how they designed those uh, special lenses or cameras to, to film these candlelight scenes and it does look distinct like it looks unlike any other movie in those those sort of dark scenes and taverns and things. Yeah, it, and it looks like how you would. It looks like paintings, right? Yeah, like uh, it really does. There's a yeah, scene where they're yeah. looking at paintings, and yeah. and the you know like the yeah. I'll leave it at that. Jump on. Um, I'm like I'm 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 with you actually. I'm with I'm with Price. Uh, where I, I I appreciate it on on a lot of different levels. Like technically, it is amazing, and I think that was really where it earned its stripes in this in this class of five is, is as a piece of technical execution. But as just as a story and, and as a as a narrative piece, it didn't grab me near as much. Part of it, I think, was this time when I rewatched it for this show, I was seeing the brushstrokes of Napoleon all over this. Like this is famously the movie he made when his Napoleon project just fell apart. And you can you can see it a lot. Like especially in those battle scenes, you can see okay, this was going to be used there for sure, and this you know these this is where this was going to come in, and this was going to come in. So I I was distracted by that. Um, but yeah, no, certainly it, it, it's, it's handsome. It's, it's really, really well crafted, but just in that terms of emotional lift and engagement, that was where it lost me, especially in comparison to the other, uh, the other four up from this year. I think the thing for me is that it's, and I do really like it. I don't think there's any Kubrick films I don't really like. So, so it's always like the weird thing about the Oscars for me is that it's partly out of you know contextual where does this fit in this person's ability to achieve right and I don't think that this compares there's six other Cooper films that I think are better examples of his ability to achieve right and um, but also I think what you're talking about the inability to kind of be emotionally engaged by it is, is purposeful I think the movie's tone what makes it good is that it has this tone of kind of wry detachment about what's going on that's kind of like reading the best books, right? So yeah. when you read, like, and in a book, like I just read Lolita, and Lolita has that in spades. Like it has that weird, detached, almost commenting through language on what's happening that this that this has too. Um, but it doesn't make you root for it. It doesn't engage you. See, it's funny that you bring that up because I was much more engaged in his adaptation of Lolita, right. where he did was of this because he actually takes away that language when he mixed Lolita. Yeah, it's yeah. weird, but also, also, I think this movie is about a sort of detached sociopathic character. So sure. I think that coldness is also kind of embedded in in the totally character, which, yeah. which you know yeah. doesn't always work in the movie. I don't think it uh, doesn't let you into it. Exactly, yeah. And it's long. Oh my god, it's long. I, I liked <laughs> yeah. it when I liked yeah. it when I first saw it, but rewatching it this time, it was just it was kind of a slog to get through. I found. I watched it in two sittings. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, took, I, I took advantage of the intermission. Yeah. I was like, "It's All right, here. I'm going to use it tomorrow." Absolutely, that's what I did. I watched the rest of it this morning before my daughter got up. Um, the performances. Uh, you were just talking about the you know the lead character. What do you guys think of his performance? The the actor, oh, yeah. Brandon, yeah. 
Or Brian, Brian McGill? Brian Hoodie. <laughs> what did Brian you think of Brian McGill? <laughs> I was like, oh, that's the guy who's I get confused with all the time. Yeah. Um, was it you that married Farrah Fawcett? Yeah. No, no, it wasn't. Yeah. I am the subject of daddy. Did you make a pass at your daughter at your mother's funeral? Yeah. I, anyway. you know it. That was both of them. <laughs> um, he like he's uh, this is probably the most I like O'Neill. I, my my experience with him is is, is kind of checkered, and, and which is to say, like I'm missing, I'm sure, like big performances by him. But I was. I was kind of surprised because a lot of time when you get an actor like that and you put them into a period piece, it can seem ridiculous. Um, so I, I, I thought that he carried it, especially in the final uh, crux of this movie where he's got a, he's got he's involved in a duel. Yeah, like I could have watched him in that duel all day. Like I could have watched that for three hours. Just why didn't they not pick a box? Why did he not pick a boxing duel again? He was so good at the boxing one, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, the gun one now. Way to go, kid! Um, no, but like in in that moment where you're just seeing so many things going on all over his face. Um, also, just the um, you know the, the other scene that comes back a lot of time when you talk about this movie is this kind of wordless seduction that happens over a game of cards, and there's so much going both on his face and um, shoot, who's the lead actress in this movie? Um. Who's, who's yeah, like on yeah. both of their faces, they're, they're doing a lot of acting without saying a damn thing, and that is really hard. And considering it's Kubrick, I can only imagine how many times he got he told them, "Nope, do it again. Nope, do it again." Um, you know, O'Neill and, and and Marissa, they're both really good in this movie. A lot of card playing in this movie, though. Now that you say it, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of a game that I don't know. Like, yeah, there's no way to follow the yeah. actual card game they're playing. You're just like, I hope this. Is. It's like early Bond where he's playing background. You're like, I have no idea. What's no, happening. Yeah. Yeah. I just assumed it was a fancy go fish. Pick one up and put one down. Pick one up and put one down. All right, okay. But uh, yeah, then they got to play a weird game after that so I, I guess everybody wins um, so we're sitting sort of you, you, are you with me I, 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 I like it okay I think it's one of the like you said lesser Kubricks I think it's one of the best movies about a guy named Barry <laughs> <laughs> no I, I like it I don't know if if I put in the five best of that year uh, in fact I almost surely wouldn't but you know you can kind of understand especially with the Oscars like they like big epic costumey sure. movies and it is I like that it's one of those but it is kind of a bit off it's a bit strange uh, the plot is, is sort of unconventional it's very meandering and, and kind of uh, doesn't really have much of a climax to it he just kind of fucks off I feel like if you're gonna do the epic thing well you have to hang it on some kind of propulsive story because the idea of this of a sort of existentialist epic where it's kind of like <laughs> an epic about are we alive but you know like that's not a really as compelling uh, yeah. kind of hook for me and that's like again it's like it's not but it's, it's kind of like it's an epic can, about a douchebag sure basically. And, well, right and only Cooper can make that movie yeah. the epic about the douchebag that is so Kubrickian in his sort of like view of the world and I, I totally respect that he would make that movie but I don't love it but. I wonder if I went into it you know because I went into it just expecting something that I wasn't going to like, and then I liked it. You know, I'm yeah. I'm digging in a little bit more than I might normally. Uh, I can't say for sure, but yeah, I did. Yeah, I did enjoy it. Uh, like I thought for sure when I saw you know um, two hours and fifty seven minutes, Here's, I was like, like I'm going to be terrible watching this. I'm gonna, can I put you on the spot? Sure. Of the five movies that are nominated. Four of them I would watch again in a heartbeat, and that this one I would never watch again. <laughs> huh. There's one I wouldn't watch in a heartbeat again, I don't think. Okay. No. But this doesn't pass the watch again 
sort of the test for me. It's and like, yet, see, I and yet, all of this. And yet the yeah. funny thing is, it, like, it's it's almost assuredly coming to the light box this fall. And, and in my head, I'm like, I'm going. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, I'm really, not. Want, I don't I'm really not. want to. I'm not. But it's one of it's one of the Kubricks I've never seen on a big screen. I'm like, mm, you can really see what cards they're playing. Yeah, on the big <laughs> screen. I'll yeah. understand the game. Yeah. They'll actually be betting, yeah. side betting. In the yeah. I won't quite be watching, but it won't be far off. Uh, I also do want to say I do like some of the. Uh, the characters, the sort of supporting characters. Like, I think he stocks them with uh, interesting character actors and, and interesting faces. Yeah, yeah. 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 And yeah. Skinny, skinny Face the butler? Yeah. yeah. And that, <laughs> skinny Face butler guy? I, yeah. I, I could not pay attention to a damn thing anytime he was in the shot. Yeah. I, just, I couldn't not look at his face. He's, I, I don't know, I don't think I've seen him in anything before or since. But he is one, like he is. Well, it's just like you know, same thing. Same thing in um, Pass of Glory. Like he, when he does do period stuff, he never just chooses from the usual rogues gallery of the ninety-five people that are always in every period piece. It's always new. It's always different. Yeah, people. Yeah. <laughs> I think he yanked this guy out of a yeah. baroque painting. It's like, here we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a feeling if this movie were made now, and this is one of the notes that I did take, it, it then to say this would have been like sacrilege, but like. I think it would have been a good, you know, over three nights or four nights on television, you know? Oh, sure. Um, because you're right. It doesn't have that sort of tight, tightly wound. Uh, it feels like episodes anyway, all through it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, uh, you can tell, like, the, I don't know when the book was written, but it feels very much of a piece of Tristram Shandy. Like it's a kind of right, like, right. uh, let's just take a walk through the sky. You know, like <laughs> it's not really a compelling, like, thing that's going to happen. Or Cop- David Copperfield, I just heard that. This sure. It's just like that. It's just like, let's more stuff that's going to happen, you know? Yeah. That's, why there's no, that's why there's no good <laughs> David Copperfield movie, really, because it's really a meandering kind of episode-based thing. Right? I think that the thing about the... I, what I'm sort of discovering now is that literature from kind of like the late 1700s, early 1800s is all about the fact that they didn't have TV. Right. So it's just, it's episodes, right? Like Three Musketeers is just fucking episodes. And that's how, I don't know about Three Musketeers, but like a lot of Dickens books were like serialized. Like they, yeah, they all they, they were so written Musketeers like... Musketeers was also serialized. Okay, yeah, yes. there you go. So, they, yeah. so this kind of feels so of a piece of like that. weekly yeah. television, right? Exactly. And they, yeah. So they have little beginnings and endings all through them, but they don't really have, and this feels the same. Like it doesn't, mm-hmm. Even though it's illustrating a consistent thing, it's doing it with a bunch of disparate kind of uh, things happening. Yeah. Right. Let's drive down the road to Nashville. Let's. <laughs> I'm curious. I, I'm curious what you guys think of this. I'm curious to think that that's the other one you didn't like. I think it's totally possible to dislike Nashville. It's very. Oh, totally. It's very possible. I totally love Nashville. I don't think it's my favorite Alton film, but I totally love it. It's hard not to love it. It's so expansive. That might be my favorite Altman film, actually. It's up there for me. Yeah. Um, I walk me through this because you're right. This is the this is the film that I, I wouldn't go so far as to say I would never watch it again. In fact, you know, based on what you guys say, it might it might make me need to rewatch this. Right. But yeah, I certainly wasn't in love with it. The one thing I've said, I think, every single time I've sat down on your show is the way a best picture should be of its time. And if somebody wanted to paint a picture of America in 1975, it's Nashville. It's, it's this, this place that is, is got a whole bunch of things going on at once that is a year away from its great big red, white, and blue hoopla being 200 years old and a year apart from its gr- one of its greatest catastrophes for its leader 
And it's, and it's at this point in the middle of these two moments when it doesn't really know what it is. And meanwhile, in amongst this greater whole of an idea of America, you have this idea of Nashville, which is a very, very conservative place, yet at the same time is very inviting to the common person. So the idea, um, the, the best way I heard it described is before American Idol, there was Nashville. So where, where one person with one guitar and one suitcase could go to this place and potentially get discovered and become famous. And that's why you see that happening over and over in this movie to various degrees of success is because that was the way it was and the way it, it still is. Like Garth Brooks, in 30 years ago, was discovered just singing in one of these cafes that, that, that we see in this movie. So that, that's the thing for me is 1975 America, Nashville sums it up very nicely. And that's Kurt saying he uh, is not going to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Good timing, Kurt. Yeah. <laughs> right, at your, right at the end of your sentence. You just watched it for the first time. Yeah, I'd never seen it Which before. Uh, I liked it. I'd sort of been saving it because a lot of my friends, it's, it's you know their favorite Altman movie or, or one of their favorite movies. Uh, I, I almost had the opposite reaction to the reaction everyone had to Barry Lyndon. Even though it's almost as long, I kind of felt like... I, I want to revisit this soon. Now that I've kind of seen the whole thing, I yeah. want to watch it again and really sort of pick out those individual moments where the, as the first time I was watching it, I was kind of, uh, for, for the first hour at least kind of trying to get a handle on what the sort of overall architecture of this movie was or was going to be. Uh, I, I did end up liking it quite a bit. Um, but it, it is an unusual movie. I, I don't, quite know how I feel about it and I, I don't know if I will until I see it again which sounds a bit strange uh, but I liked it I liked the cast I liked how odd it got I liked how like you said it's, it's very timely mm-hmm. like it is about this kind of uh, almost undefined sort of period in American history where uh, we have we definitely have a lot of sort of uh, remnants of the 60s there's so sort of this uh, Peter Paul and Mary kind of surrogates in here uh, and they're breaking apart at the seams and we're kind of, yeah, it's, it's just this kind of odd amalgam of things going on. Uh, I would say actually what I just mentioned is one thing I, I kind of didn't like about it was the fact that there were all these sort of stand-ins for well-known artists. There's like fake Loretta Lynn, yeah. and, you know, fake Peter Paul and Mary that kind of took me out of it a bit. I wish that maybe, maybe all the real people. No, or or carve out their own personalities. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Put Elliot Gould in, in there as someone else. So random. Right? And, uh, and uh, Julie Christie. <laughs> um, I think the one thing, though, is that that's, that's kind of the archetype, still to this day, kind of the archetype of what you have in terms of Nashville, in terms of the music. Like, you'll have... The one thing they didn't have because it wasn't really a thing in 75 was the one that trickles over into being more of a rock star. The closest we get with that is, is Carradine because uh, he's the one that they're all fawning over yeah. uh, in... in but they didn't have like they didn't have the, like the 1975 equivalent of like Keith Urban because there was none. But, but that's thank the, God, yeah. <laughs> but that but that was I think that's the thing why they all seem so very Loretta Lynn like and George Jones like just the state of the music industry. It, yeah, it, yeah, partly. yeah, and that was and you know so, yeah, country was compartmentalized into just four or five very very. But it, I think it does get specific, especially in terms of like her look and wardrobe oh, sure. and like oh, her yeah, manager yeah. husband. And that, yeah, and that right. can't be yeah. correct. I just think apart from the specific details of what the sort of who the characters are, because I think that is all super important. And you know, what one of the things about Nashville that's so um, like that I think especially with people at the time, and certainly for me watching it, is that there are so many characters and yet they're so uh, delineated and you just totally wanna follow all for me, I wanna follow all of those characters and it's a huge group of them. But it also like 
it falls into um, like every culture has a movie, I think, or many cultures in the world in their film kind of history have like a movie that on some level is like here's everything in the culture in one movie. So like for French films, it's the rules of the game. The rules of the game has all the French people in the world in one movie. Um, <laughs> Uh, in, in Italy, it's La Dolce Vita. La Dolce Vita has all the Italians. It has the, this level of Italians, and it has the lower levels, and it has the upper levels, and it has the, This movie is that for America. I thought it this was, is it's a mad, 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 mad world. Wasn't that well, that's true, too. Okay. That has many people in it. Though, but they, it's more about, that's more about all the people that are in cartoons. You're right. <laughs> so you're saying you, you place a higher premium on, on these actors as opposed to the Three Stooges. Correct, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> I just, I guess, I guess what I am saying is that, um, uh, the, that, the, that thing of like being the hinge point of, of depicting a whole culture is, is in Nashville. It's the hinge. It's the thing. It's the crucible through which all the other movies before and since kind of, in terms of just how you view like whatever America is, I can't divorce it from that movie. So there's before that movie and after that movie. Kind of. And it just, yeah, like at least for me, that's how it feels. It feels like, like it's like the individual stories are interesting, but it's that, it's that thing where the movie ends and you're like, well, that was a sum total of something like that was, just can't get past the fact that you can have Jeff Goldblum in a movie and not let him talk. <laughs> <laughs> or really stop it from talking. I think his wardrobe did the talking. <laughs> that bike is just... It's the motorcycle. Yeah, I didn't... Yeah, I wouldn't go so far as to say I didn't, I didn't like it. It just... It meandered for me. It, oh, it was all over the place. And maybe, again, maybe I was just not in the right place. My head was swiveling a little too much. I will tell you this. I watched that movie on my computer, not on my television not sure maybe maybe that had something to do with it um yeah yeah but uh yeah it was it, it's not a movie you can only pay half an attention to you kind of have to immerse yourself in it i think i think it just requires you to be just because so many so many of the scenes like they've got so many people in them and you're yes. kind of looking at what, what's going on <laughs> yeah and, and it's, one yeah, given and it's, it's also the movie where he absolutely uh Perfects that thing of the long zooms and the multiple conversations and the multiple mics all going at once and the pulling and sort of layering of stuff. Like he he got closer and closer and closer and like I think McCabe is probably a really good example of it and Mash is a pretty good example of it. But this is like it's the best he, he ever it. did that thing of like we're gonna have a room with two hundred people and they're all gonna be talking and you're kind of gonna hear them all. But well, you think the studio scene off the top, yeah. it almost feels like one and maybe it is I, I don't know but. The one continue. Yeah, you're following. Sure it is. Yeah, you're following yeah. the journalist, right? As she and, and just gets like, to leave the yeah, room. Yeah, and just like I mean, I, and I think if you're watching that on a, on a smaller screen and you're kind of, it's it's harder to like part of like uh, I'm thinking of like um, uh, the Orson Welles movie um, with the really long take of the, the trying. No, the one with the uh, really touch long, of evil. Oh, touch, touch of evil. evil. Yeah, like the whole movie of Touch of Evil is not that good, but that opening shot is so good that it kind of elevates everything else that you see after it. And I think like when you can establish just that technical level of mastery right away and be like, boom, like mic drop. I just, I own you now, you know, <laughs> that you, you, it, it elevates the rest of it. I know what I like, I, I watched it on a, you know, a larger TV. So I, yeah. I wish I could have seen it in the theater, but you can pick out, like there's always someone in the background that's doing something that we've seen before or an actor showing up. Like it feels like he's created this space where these like characters kind of living exactly. yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and yeah. so sometimes you you do pinpoint little things even though they might not be sort of spectacular big screen things 
I think on a larger screen you might sort of notice details, and that's probably why I want to watch it again. I want to. Right. I feel like a lot of those probably went over my head the first time. And I think a I lot of, if we want to just talk influence, a lot of that shows up in a lot of other movies. That thing of weaving in stuff in, like Pulp Fiction, like that thing of like stuff happening in the background that you've actually you can later on you can connect the dots and be like, oh, these were all happening. It's half, half of Paul Thomas Anderson's career. Sure. <laughs> well, he's a you know famously he's, he's a devote, yeah, famously yeah. Anderson quit for a while just to assist. Uh, um, on his last couple of movies, yeah. so he's absolutely a huge yeah. influence, and you see it in a bunch of movies. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I think that pretty much covers that. I mean, without, <laughs> without Nashville, there's no Magnolia for sure. Oh, that's yeah. that's okay, for that's sure. It's absolutely there's probably no Boogie Nights either. Probably not. It's that's that owes more to Scorsese, I think, in some ways. Both of them. But uh, I remember when I saw yeah. Magnolia, like when it first came out. I was in high school, and I was like, "Oh, this is what an important, different kind of movie." Right. And then a few years later, I think I saw Shortcuts, and I was like, "Oh, well, this is where that came right. from." And now I'm seeing Nashville, like, "Oh, well, this is really the origin <laughs> where this came from." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So you say that, and boom, yeah, switch went off in my head too. I, I see that. Yeah. I think what's really interesting is this is the year as a total where it's so clear that without um, television drama in the 50s, like half of these movies don't happen. Like Altman, and uh, we're going to talk about Sidney Lumet and Dog Day, and we're going to talk about uh, um, Jaws and Spielberg came on the TV. And, like, and, uh, like, like it's, it's so beholden to TV as a sort of training ground. So, which I, I'm not sure, like, the visually these movies are so expansive and they're so beyond TV, but there's something about those people's ability to juggle actors and kind of get, you know, really quickly get great performances out of people. So you can have a movie with 35 speaking roles, major speaking roles, and you can actually direct them all effectively because he comes out of, like, shooting live uh, Playhouse 90s and stuff where it's like, I have no time to spend with you. That, that level of economy, I think, is part of what makes this great and what makes him kind of great. We just mentioned Dog Day, and I think that after talking about two giant movies, like big, epic, sprawling movies, sure. um, Dog Day is sort of our bottle, <laughs> the, <laughs> the bottle episode. Um, where are you guys on Dog Day Afternoon? I, I really love this movie. Yeah. Uh, I, I hadn't seen it in a while, and uh, I still love it. It's, it's great. Every time you watch it, it holds up. Yeah. <laughs> it just holds up so perfectly. There's, there's nothing I, I can say about it really in any kind of negative capacity. I just thought it's really, it's a great summer movie too. Like it feels so of that, like you feel like you're there watching it. It's very visceral. Yeah. Uh, Sweaty and like I was claustrophobic, like yeah. sort of claustrophobic. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why it's, it's enough space, but I felt, you know, it's because of that shot of the dog in the beginning. <laughs> Anytime the calendar turns over to August, I start thinking yeah. about you know. What I, I'm due to watch Dog in the Afternoon. Has anybody seen the dog or whatever? No, I've only heard that so so. No. Yeah, I'm only curious because this movie is so good, right? Like, yeah, there is this there's this documentary about the actual guy because it's a real based on a real right yes person, right. Um, and the weird the, for me the weird ama- amazing achievement about Dog Day is that totally contextualist like as a person who grew up in the 19. 19- 80s and saw this movie on home video and and I know virtually and certainly at the time I knew virtually nothing about kind of 1970s urban history about New York City the scene where he shouts Attica you still go fuck yeah I don't know anything about that. I don't I still don't really know what he's talking about it still makes you go like damn right Attica you know it just the movie hooks you in so compellingly to, to what he's doing he's doing he's doing he's doing 
he's spectacular in this movie. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so are the women. All the women in the bank are amazing. They're all great. Yeah, are Al Pacino. I to show how uh, how far he's come. Uh, or how good he is in this movie, I should say. Uh, I, I was a, I watched it up at uh, at my cottage, and we're getting the newspaper. I think the the day before we watched Dog Day Afternoon, and uh, we're reading uh, the TIFF announcements. Yeah. And there was a movie with, or I can't remember which movie is Al Pacino in. Did you guys see so, someone? Someone's new movie. Someone we'd heard about. It was like, oh, this movie's coming to TIFF, and uh, and I was like, oh, who's in it? And uh, my wife said, Al Pacino. And I went, ugh. <laughs> and we were like, yeah, I know, Al Pacino. Yeah. And then we watched Dog Day Afternoon. And we were just like, holy shit. This guy was so just on top of his game. Just so- Back when he had more than one register for his voice. I just love that he let himself be so uncool. You know, like he yeah. was so... Raw and vulnerable. Yeah, when he's sliding, when he's running back and forth, when they, when they yeah. first, when the cops first sort of... Uh, uh, come into contact with him and he's just he's sliding across the bank floor like he's frantic and he's absolutely out of control and like, there's just something so uncool about well even it. just even just the robbery itself like it's 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 clear like he had it all mapped out in his head but the actual execution of it it's not you know to, to use a terrible example as, as a counterpoint it's not the bank heist at the beginning of the dark night where they're just where everything has just been like clocked down to the second yes you know this is all very okay yeah, I got this the biggest now, idea yeah, now, yeah no <laughs> So it's it's just watching him, you know, he's got the plan, he knows what he's supposed to do, but watching him actually like execute him with any kind of level of confidence is just not there. And that's you know? that's so realistic too. Like I feel like anything I try to do with my friends, one of them will bail. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that makes that's sense. Right. Right. And one of them will be John Cazal, so that's no good. Yeah, yeah. Really. <laughs> How have we not talked about John Cazal? Well, we need to talk about because I think to your point. Is it Cazal? I've always said Cazal. Daily. And now I feel I like I'm wrong. I think it's Cazelle, but I I'm guessing it's a guy. I'm, yeah. uh, I'm trying to remember from an interview, but I, anyway. But yeah, he is the unsung hero of 1970s because he's in Deer Hunter and this and the Two Godfathers, right? Yeah. And, 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 and the conversation. And, the conversation. Yeah. and those were the only and, five movies he made. Yeah, pretty right? much. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you look at him, you're like, there's a guy that had to earn his way onto into front of the camera. <laughs> he really didn't like go. People did not go. Hey, you need to be photographed. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then he died, and then he died young. And I think, like, and is, he was uh, living with Meryl Streep or dating Meryl Streep for maybe, a long time, I yeah, think. Yeah. yeah. And and it's just like, his, he's this incredible counterbalance to all these really strong actors like, like Pacino and De Niro, right? And especially in Pacino's case, if you look at what happened, like the progression of him right after Fazal died, because he did cruising and like, Prince, like, like he all of a sudden he became the Al Pacino that we are talking about <laughs> derisively, and it's almost as if Kazal was like his spirit animal or something. Like he was the only one keeping him like on the level. Of, like you just imagine him doing cruising, and then Kazal showed up and being like, "What are you doing, <laughs> dude? We work so hard. Come on, it's like his life coach, we're Serpico. You work smart. What?" And, you know, I think what stands uh, or where this movie sort of stands apart from other Pacino movies too, as at least the ones that sort of come to mind now, like uh, The Godfather and the movies around that time, is this almost a one man show. And there's a lot of other great actors, but it all rests on him. And there's so many great close ups of him and sort of long takes yeah, of yeah. him. And it, it's just uh, he he is just the star and the focus of this movie, and we really get to see what he can do. Uh, he just plays scared so well. Yeah. Like you wonder why he doesn't play scared more because he's so. 
you see it. Like you just he doesn't have to. He say wants anything. to be. He wants to be cool. Like all the yeah. time. I would just see yeah. it. Right. Like, yeah. Me. How about a movie where I'm the devil? Uh, all right. <laughs> all right yeah, you win. Great. Uh, I I, there is a comedy bit to be had about that Pacino playing this movie. Uh, like, and in the bag and being like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> <Had a car. laughs> I can only imagine him reading his last will and has Oh, touch that a lot. You know, like, all right. What a military funeral I'm entitled I remember reading uh, or hearing somewhere that uh, Christopher Nolan said that when they made Insomnia, uh, when he's directing Pacino, Pacino would start out crazy cartoonishly big and stop him and be like, what are you doing? And he's like, no, no, I do that on purpose. I hit like 11. And then in the later takes, I can sort of new, find the nuances. I was thinking, I don't, I don't think he's finding those nuances. Anymore. <laughs> well, well, he's getting down to nine. But, <laughs> also, but also if you're Al Pacino and whoever, whatever director you're working with now idolizes you, do you make him do take eight, take nine? Right. You don't yeah. let him get there. Right. You're just like, Oh no, I guess this is the best you're going to like, unless he tells the person, unless the person has a temerity to go up to Al Pacino and go, I don't think you're doing the best work, Al. <laughs> like, which, who's going to do that? Right. Yeah. So he may be the devil. <laughs> yeah. Maybe his method is not, you know, <laughs> And he, I imagine, he's a method guy. I imagine he would have lived in this part outside. Of he robbed Chile. a bank for this he role. He went to jail for yeah. a long time. He also yeah, famously went halfway towards sexual reassignment. <laughs> and, and also a great supporting cast. Uh, Sarandon, Chris Sarandon. Sarandon yeah. And uh, uh, we actually just did The Princess Bride on our podcast. So it was yeah. interesting seeing those two movies within back a week. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Very different Chris Sarandon roles. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, Charles Durning. Durning is so great, and this is the perfect part for Durning. He should always be a cop, right? Yeah. <laughs> and he's so like, uh, what I like about Charles Durning is he's he's great at showing sort of like intense, inappropriate frustration. <laughs> like even when he's intensely frustrated, you can tell there's this thing in his voice where he's like, I'm fucking this up. I can't be this angry right now. <laughs> Bring it down. <laughs> yeah. So um, there's a... Uh... I mean, I think it's neat that it comes out the same year as Nashville because they feel like two different ways of showing something interesting about America and where it is at, at that moment. Well, and, and this one feels very much New York. That's the, well, like, urban, you, totally. Yeah, you, yeah. you know, like we, were, we were talking before before we went on about how the, the American cities, there's, there's two or three of them that have a very, very distinct character. And, like, I, I don't see this as being set in Cincinnati. You know, that, that kind of thing. That kind of closeness of everybody on top of each other in, yeah. in, in, like, the dead of summer when everybody's really bloody irritated, you know, and just anybody can, like, go on edge. That This this is where this story takes place. It's very, again, it's very much of its time and place. And, and the fact that, like, it it's an anti-authoritarian hero. Like, the, yeah. the reason why, the you know, this neighborhood sort of rallied around him is because he was, you know, saying, fuck you to the cops. Yeah. And, like, and while, he was getting Cameron's what he wanted. Rolled, well, cameras rolled and caught it all. Like, yeah. Again, this is also where we've got everybody really wanting to be famous, right? Like, it's the same sort of thing as Nashville, where everybody all of a sudden really wants to be famous because TV is much bigger than it was and tabloid journalism is much bigger than it was. So everybody wants to be famous just for doing something. So seeing somebody out there, yeah. seeing something where somebody is kind of grabbing their moment in front of you. But I also I also think it's like, like a lot of the best 70s movies are about this distrusting authority, oh, yeah. whether oh, it's the totally. police or the government. And I feel like the fact that everyone was celebrating this bank robber is yeah. a really... There's we're all, all there to cheer him up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's also the fact that at that point in time, New York City itself is basically bankrupt. And that the people who live in New York are so angry about the fact that this city, which is supposed to be the greatest city, is basically like a crumbling ruin. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. When he goes into the vault and there's 
And yeah. there's yeah. no money. It's a perfect, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a perfect yeah. like, I'm yeah. showing up in New York. I'm going to be big. I'm going to be big. Yeah. And it's like, here. there's a thousand dollars here. Yeah. <laughs> right. What just occurred to me is that, which I'm surprised has never occurred to me before, but weirdly, if you take these two films and mash them together, you actually get um, uh, Do the Right Thing. Oh, Nash, Nashville, Nashville yeah, yeah. and Dog Day together kind of get through the right thing. You get this big movie set in one of the hottest days in New York City mm-hmm. with all kinds of characters. Are you listening, Internet? <laughs> there's your cue. <laughs> there's your cue. I want to see a supercut. Um, there's a 35 foot shark in the room. Yes, there is. That we're not talking about at all. And uh, I think we should probably give it some give it some love. Give it a hug. Um, I don't care for this. I'm <laughs> you guys watched Jaws 4, right? <laughs> Jaws 2 has been on TV a lot this week. Uh, <laughs> it's a shark with a water skier in front of it. Yeah. We had a conversation a while ago where we were talking about maybe it was the Back to the Future one where we were like, or one, one of the, oh, or Apocalypse Now, where we were like, what do we really need to say? Because I feel like everybody kind of knows how great this movie is. I feel like Jaws is in the same. It's so great, and I'm trying to figure out a person who's like, I don't care for Jaws. You know, like, Jaws is great. <laughs> Jaws, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Is that what we're going to do? We're going to sit here and gush. You're right. If that's the case, well, I can I can tell a funny story. <laughs> tell a funny, tell a funny story. So, um, my father's not good with scary movies, particularly. And Jaws came out in 1975, and so I was four. And he, he and my mother will definitely not go see a scary movie. So he went by himself to see this scary movie that he's not good at scary movies. And then he and then he drove home suitably freaked out and. Uh, and on the way home, he kept hearing sounds, like water sounds, <laughs> in the car, to the point where he was driving and, like, whipping his head around and turning around and stuff, and, like, what was happening? And he came in completely, walked in the house, completely freaked out, and my mother said, oh, there's a case of apple juice in the car, can you... <laughs> <laughs> And then if this were a movie, he'd open up the trunk to get the apple juice in the car. Yeah. <laughs> Just a shark man. Um, yeah, I mean, I was just going to say, I, I feel like I, looking back, it's easy to say that Jaws was sort of like the populist choice, like the blockbuster that they stuck on here. But I mean, I, I think, like we all agree, it's one of the best movies of all time. Yeah. And I think what people forget, or or don't would maybe acknowledge, looking at this in terms of the other five movies, is how incredibly subversive it is. I mean, we're talking about movies of their time. Like, I mean, I've always read Jaws as an allegory for the Vietnam War. I think... Well, it's certainly the most uh, pop-cultural way of getting at the mistrust of authority. Much more than Dog Day is, right? Like, yeah, it's, exactly. It's really about saying... And also, like, the divide in, in, in men and masculinity. And sort of, like, reuniting these these three men, the sort of pacifist Richard Dreyfus and the, you know, war hero Robert Shaw... And then sort of stuck in the middle is, uh, is, Brody. is yeah. Brody, who's kind of this father who's willing to defend his family, but he he just has violence because he he was a cop and he what, he killed yeah. someone or something, and so that's when he why he took this job. I just think like this is an incredibly important movie for this time. If that's sort of the lens we're looking through these movies, I, I tend to agree. I, I feel like the, oh sorry, no, I, well I, the the thing when I think about this movie is certainly like as an as an Oscar movie because that, you know that's why we're. There's two things I always wonder about is one, what would have happened if this movie had won Best Picture? What would that have done to Spielberg's career? Sure. 
um, you know, it, it wouldn't have been a case of too much too soon, and would he just not have gone on? Jeez, if only he had been a success. Well, no, well, that, that's like, you know, yeah, it's, it's, no, I want it. Like, you know, how, like, how long it kept him hungry doing all of these movies that had a lot going on that were pop movies, that our current pop movies just cannot. So you think if it had been recognized more, it would have negatively Absolutely. Right? Yeah, he would have. he would have coasted through big budgets and not had to fight yeah. as much. Yeah, I, I possibly. I think, possibly. I think, uh, that, that, that's my thought. Is, is, is there is something to be said sometimes for too much too soon. Um, the other thing I wonder about as well, you know, on the kind of the flip side, is what would have happened if the damn shark had a worked? Because because that's the, the big fact thing. that he hadn't had to shoot around it. That's what yeah. I thought. Yeah, you know, like that. That's a lot of what makes. Don't get me wrong. Like the, the stuff that you're talking about for sure with with the emotional um, resonance of the men in this movie. That's all in the screenplay. Like he he had that from the word go because he was basically tearing up the book and and putting it back together yeah, in his yeah. own way. That was there from the, from, the, from the start. But I feel that that might have been buried if the damn shark had worked and we would have been able to see it more and see what he was able to do with it, even though he said famously, I don't want to show up for the first act. You know, I, I don't, yeah, you yeah. know. And that's the, the other thing is it's hard to sort of speculate because, you know, for a, they could have had a working, you know, motorized shark, uh, filmed all those scenes, then gotten in the editing room and been like, hey, you know what, it actually cuts together better when we yeah. don't see the shark. Yeah. Like, who knows what we're talking yeah, about. Exactly. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, with both of them, we don't know. Yeah. I also think, uh, given the state of technology, movie technology in 1974, 73, 74, when he was filming this, um, uh, there is no universe that exists where that shark would have worked. <laughs> I, think, I think people would have told him it could work. <laughs> it, it, all, it all came down to well, it all came down to if he had it filmed it in a tank, like Universal wanted him to do. It was it was because they put it out there in Martha's Vineyard in the salt water that it just started screwing up like no tomorrow. They it, wanted it shot in a tank. They wanted it shot in a tank. Yeah, I think absolutely it was a very because different. Salt, yeah, because that, that was every every undersea like every underwater yeah. adventure up until then had all been shot in this tank. Like that's why, and yeah. that's why they look so damn terrible. Well, they did stuff, <laughs> some stuff in the tank, right? Like the stories in yeah. the. Cage where yeah, Richard drives his nail in the yeah, cage. Yeah, they did some of that. I think they didn't. They do some of it with real sharks. Too. Well, they did. They cut well, yeah, them, but they're not. Uh, they're, they're not, not white sharks, but they're yeah. yeah. They're like. But yeah, they, they, they Universal wanted him to do it. Like, yeah. And he's like, no, no, no we're gonna. <laughs> we want you to film in Jaws the Ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I do think that the interesting thing for me when you say like if it had won, so could, so famously, I don't feel this film could ever have won in that year because, and they like the sort of the comparison I would draw is um, this, for me, in movies, is where music was around 1963. So this is the breaking point. Like, for a long time in music, what was popular and what was considered highly accomplished were actually mostly the same thing. Like, what was, po- what was popular in pop music was also what was popular on Broadway or what was popular in sort of film musicals. Like, those were the popular songs. So what Bing Crosby was singing, which was, like, a parade, popular music... That was also just what Rodgers and Hammerstein were writing, right? The break is the Beatles. The break is the invasion. A little bit before with, with rock and roll. Yeah. But the real break in terms of like widespread, it's like in 1963, the biggest songs come out of My Fair Lady. Those are like the big hits. Not so much in 1964. That's where it breaks off, right? Big change. And Jaws is the break. Jaws is where the big important movies are no longer... They're really the popcorn movies, the movies that we think of as being low culture or popular culture. They're actually the more important yeah. movies than the high culture movies, whatever that means. And this is the break. So it's not possible for, I think, the people who are voting on it to actually perceive that that just happened. It's a, it, right. it's, it's, in a lot of ways, sure. it's, it's actually a wonder that it got nominated. I, like, you know, I, I feel that if that movie came along now, sure. that it just it wouldn't happen. 
Sure. Was it an achievement? Uh, it was like it, an achievement nom. Is that is that why? It well, it, it was it was hard to ignore it's because hard it, to it, ignore. it became yeah. it became the biggest movie of all time at the box office. Yes. And and yeah, when I was here on the 1993 show, I said that every film except for one that became the biggest box office phenomenon went on to also That's get a right. best picture right. uh, nomination. So it's, so it's it's almost like you can't ignore it. And that was the thing is that even even if they wanted to, I don't think they could. And just because it was able to do that. And not and knock out the Godfather, which had happened three years prior. Right, but I, I think because of that sort of financial reason, that it sort of started the blockbuster. They released it in, in more theaters simultaneously. All these things that sort of led to the way we sort of digest summer blockbusters. It, it established the summer. Yeah, season. which which you know some people might think is a negative thing, and obviously it shifted attention away from sort of art house films that were the mainstream. Yeah, uh, I think because we sort of perceive it that way historically, people forget. Just, I mean, people know how great Jaws is, but I think when you stack it up against these other movies, I think it absolutely deserves to be there. I even think it might be the best of the five. I, I think it's, it's a most, great movie. I think it's easily argued to be the most influential of the five. Sure. For what, for those reasons you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah. But even just in terms of the things we've been talking about, in terms of sort of yeah. cultural reflections, in, in terms of uh, even like like some of my mo- favorite moments in the movie are the small moments like... With Brody and his son, where his son's like mimicking him, and he doesn't yeah, realize yeah, yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. touching, and 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 well, it's like the, the small moment. Just the fact that no matter how many times you see this movie, I always forget about the about the dead dude in the boat. Yeah. <laughs> and you jump I every, every, every time. time, and it, every time I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I jumped out of my chair. I re I rewatched a few scenes this morning because I, I hadn't seen it in a while, and I absolutely landed on that scene and watched it like an idiot, we, yeah. thinking I couldn't. You know, thinking I would beat it, and I did not beat it. Even no, and just every time you're like, "What the? Oh my god!" (laughs) I got this coming out. (laughs) I don't know if you you guys saw when it was re-released recently, but like people screamed in the theater. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that was how I introduced it to my son, who was 13, and it's like the perfect movie to show a 13 year old. I would, I would completely. Um, It's. uh, I actually wonder because talking about this, like the summer movie season, the fact there was no summer movie season. Has anyone put together when the majority of theaters got air conditioning? <laughs> I'm just, I'm serious. Because oh, one of the reasons nobody saw movies in the summer is because it was so hot goddamn in there. hot. No, right. well, this is a. Listen, I was watching Back to the Future last night. That's they, what I was they, thinking. They had, the, they had the advertiser for the theater in 1955 of delightfully air conditioned. Yeah, so that's exactly what everybody's yeah. 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 that's, that's May, though. <laughs> <laughs> they turn it off in July. <laughs> it just breaks. It's too expensive. By July, it breaks. Yeah. But also, Back to the Future wasn't real, so it's <laughs> <Exactly>. possible. <laughs> oh, and I, I just see on your bookshelf you have Easy Riders, Raging Bulls. Yeah, I remember in the movie of that, that was like the end of the movie. They're like Jaws before Raging Bull. They're like Jaws kind of killed it. Like we were making all these interesting movies, and then Jaws came along. And then the same week I watched, there was a new documentary about Star Wars that was on TV, and it was like before Jaws and Star Wars, Hollywood was making upsetting, weird movies <laughs> that were dark and about unlikable characters. So there's two documentaries yeah. with completely different viewpoints on, on Jaws. I mean, you can argue the good and the bad, but you can't argue the fact that Jaws took Changed the movie things. business from a kind of money losing vanity business that a bunch of weirdos <laughs> because they did like if you one of the things that's great about that Easy Riders Raging Bulls is that the people that own the studios like the what's his name Bluedorf the guy that owned Gulf and Western yeah. they are weirdos man they're <laughs> nuts right and they don't care what I mean it's a it's a hobby for them it took it from being a hobby to being like a major business well just to give you the, the box office from that year Jaws did 240 million bucks Rocky Horror was 140. 
Cuckoo's no, Nest. these, I have to correct you, these are from, lifetime figures. From IMDb? They're lifetime figures. There was no way Rocky Horror made $140 million in 1975. Okay, it has made $140 million. Okay. You can't make that much only playing Saturday Nights at Midnight. I, yeah, I, yeah. So it's, a, it's a misleading figure, sorry. Cuckoo's Nest is one twelve. Uh, and then the next movie is $31 million bucks. Like after yeah, that. It drops, yeah. Yeah, it drops like substantially. I guess yeah. that's what I was trying to illustrate. Um, but but fair enough. Uh, but Jaws made the majority of its money in that year, and it's a, it's a staggering it amount a of crazy money amount considering of money. what the next it would be like. Uh, well, it's, I mean, the only other example I have is Titanic, like where one movie makes $1.8 billion and the next closest makes $300 million. Right? Yeah, it's not, not, even, not even close. Not even close. Not yeah. Even yeah, I thought that was, as I was writing it down. It, was, it seems odd to me. Um, other than the fact that the pop, popular-wise, it was uh, it was ranked up there as well. Well, let's let's go into Cuckoo's Nest, um, which also was high up there. Uh, we were talking about movies that do something substantial yeah. uh, at the Oscars. I mean, this movie ran the board of the, yeah. of the, big, it, uh, the big awards. For fun and profit, everyone want to name the other two movies that have run the board? Ooh, I know it because I love it. And uh, it happened one night. There you go. Only three mm-hmm. times has a movie won director, picture, actor, actress, and screenplay. Right? Yeah. Which which tells you like how hard that is to do. It's almost and I and I and I almost say like it's it's gonna be harder that much more now because the Academy seems to uh, see the screenplay awards as a way to throw a bone to somebody who's who's done smaller. Yeah. Some, some, either somebody smaller or somebody who's done a few things at once. So like uh, this is where like Quentin Tarantino tends to get it. It's like, well, we're not going to give you director, but that was a great script. That was a great so script, go. yeah, exactly. You know, or, or or the ones that are really weird, like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. They got it, got it. It's awesome. We can't give you an award. No, we can't give no, you, something you can't. So that. that's the thing because they're looking at the screenplay <laughs> award in that light. It's going to get that much harder to run the table of the other four. Uh, sorry, the other four plus that. Yeah. Are we in the same boat with this movie that we were with Jaws a moment ago? Is this? I don't know because this was a movie that came into the table I hadn't seen before. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, I so then I want to know what how. It's yeah, I think everyone. These are, this is another. All these movies are like movies where you're like, first time, what happened? You know, like it's so great that I you fucking loved it. Like, yeah, I, it's hard I, I loved not to, it. Right? You had just you had just released your episode the day I watched it, where you were talking about um, Fargo and TV okay. shows, and I tweeted you immediately and was like. I would, and I don't want to besmirch the movie by saying it should be a TV show. But I mean, like, I want these characters. I want to see oh, them. Yeah. I want to see them over and over again before you know, before the end. Anyway, um, it's yeah. it's uh, it's not possible. I play poker fairly regularly. Not possible for me to play without at some point in the evening going, I bet a dime. <laughs> Just because it makes me laugh so hard every fucking time. Every time. I bet it died. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. When I when I got that message from you, and I can't remember, if it, uh, you know, it did make it into the show too. Um, I, I said like I would totally spend twelve hours it, it, like watching the characters in the yes. board. Absolutely, yeah. and like I would want something like six hours or so to be before McMurphy even shows up. I want to sit on Mr. Bedner's ratchet. I want to see that show of her whole life. <laughs> she's, so she's so great performances. Like I mean, it, you know why it ran the board, or we need to give that a term. Like I want to say triple crown, but it can't be a triple crown because there's more than three stones. The sweet. It's the, the sweet. sweet. It's, yeah. It it just ticks fucking every box. Yeah. Um, Did you need a hug when it was over? It was really quite. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Yeah, it's lobotomies are not easy to watch. Like it's just not easy to feel like like that movie so gut punches you with its ending and uh, and, and so effectively built up like Murphy. It's incredible. I think again, like going back to Pacino, you know, yeah. uh, Nicholson, just so fucking 
good. So yeah. new ones. He made two films this year, and the other one is The Passenger with Antonio yeah. And my God, he's so good. He's just at the top of his game. Like it's amazing. The thing I love about his performance in this movie is he does the Jack Nicholson shtick, and then you see the moments where. That doesn't work, and right. it kind of gets deflated. Yeah, and he pulls. It's like he's uh, deconstructing himself right in front of you. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, you know, I also I read this. It's amazing to read. Oh yeah. Uh, so how's the adaptation? Like, I mean, nothing. Not really like it. No, well, because the the book is all from the chief's perspective. Oh, really? The, the chief, and that, chief is the narrator, but also, uh, which is why he doesn't say anything in the movie, right? And, and boy, it makes that Simpsons episode make a lot more sense. <laughs> um, the uh, <laughs> um, uh, the the thing that I like about the book that's different is that McMurphy is much more like a traditional. He's like a sailor, right? like a merchant seaman guy, and he's and it's more about his kind of Nicholson doesn't have that um, braggadocio kind of traditional masculinity thing. He has his own thing. Um, but it works equally as well. Yeah, it's not Hogan's Heroes. It's, no. it's I mean, the, the thing to keep in mind is that, the, and the reason that Michael Douglas is the producer is because this was produced, optioned first and produced as a play, as a starring vehicle for Kirk Douglas. Really? Yes, Kirk Douglas is McMurphy. So if you put Kirk Douglas in that role, you start to see how it's a very different kind of, not worse, but very different. Right. I, th- I think also Kirk Douglas tried to get a movie made yes. for a long time, and he and gave was, up and gave it to Michael as yeah. a gift, and said like, "Well, you make a movie out of this." And he was too because he was too old at that point. Yeah, he yeah. was too old playing Murphy, and he, but he he gave it to him. He was like, "I ha- I own this thing. It's really good. Yeah. Take a whack at it." And that's why Devito is in it because they were roommates. I did not know that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's all kinds of weird lore and history around. I love that aspect of this movie that it really like. There's a whole backstory to how this movie even winds up getting made. Yeah, the behind-the-scenes DVD is actually like really like I, I, I when I first was buying DVDs, I like go through every feature, and inevitably half the time I'd be like, ah, this is boring shit. But every once in a while, you'd come across one of these making of docs that was actually really well done, and that was one of them. And it's got like a lot of these stories in it. I forgot it because I haven't watched that doc yeah. in so long. But yeah, like of how it was made and how everything came into 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 play. This is one that there is no doubt in my mind that like of the five. This one will be on my next next watch list first. Uh, like I can see this one being an annual sort of viewing. Uh, I don't know if there's a period of time I would watch it. It's been a while would, for but me. But I would totally watch this but uh, often. We, we were talking uh, uh, outside of this just about boyhood and how good it is. And I was saying, uh, um, having seen it twice now, and I think Dog Day uh, or uh, Cookies Nest fits into this as well. Um, that even like that knowing what's going to happen actually makes you more emotional about what's happening and makes it have more impact. So the rewatches are better because it's like, it's one thing to see the sort of turn at the end fresh and be like whacked in the face, but it's another thing to know that that is coming and see him act that knowing because he knows Nicholson knows what's coming and he's read the script, right? So see how he plays into that moment is so great. It's like a flawless kind of proficiency. And every scene with Brad Dourif, knowing what happens, yeah. is, is yeah. super hard to watch. Yeah. And again, like great great supporting cast, like every, everyone Chiavelli. in that movie. Holy shit, Vincent yeah. Chiavelli. <laughs> who's going to play Martini? Or, no, sorry, not Martini. Who's going to play uh, Chadwick? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the ball, is that the Balding? No, he's the one, no. he's the, the, the first one we see get uh, the electroshock therapy. 
Um, I'll tell you in a second. Because okay, he's, like, he's the one who's got it. Like he's got he's dialed back and very meek and very mousy and very right. creepy the whole time. But then when and we then see he stands him, out. yeah, when we when we see him lose it, it's really disturbing. Right? And by, because because yeah. he's been in this box the whole time, and all of a sudden he's now it's, and it's all over. I want my cigarettes. The, this is this is the line in the sand, right. you know. Right. And and you just say like. Whoa! Wait a minute, Sydney Lassick. Yeah, that's why I was thinking. Oh my god! Yeah. And you didn't look Jeff's that right. up on a mobile device. You went into your mind palace. I wish I. My mind palace is mostly just like a tent that leaks. Uh, <laughs> just like a mind camper. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh man! Um, and Fletcher in this movie is just insane to to play that to play that heel that way. Yeah, because uh, it because it could very easily have turned into a cartoon, but to see somebody who knows the line of not even I was going to say passive aggressive but it's not even passive really it's just an authoritarian who is just not going to take any shit but knows how to say it in a way that's not going to upset a person who's mentally unstable yeah. it's freaking chilling like and also with the thing I, I didn't see this since I was like a student uh, having like works now you get the sense from her that like she goes home and totally leaves her job there like it's just so clinical and professional that's what really creeped me about. I don't know, man. Like, really? I, the, I, I can see her walking into her apartment, hanging up her keys, putting a record on. Yeah, I, I <laughs> like, get the feeling this is a home record. Yeah. No, no, I, I know it is, but that's what I mean. It's just it's, oh, when it's, her life is still like outside of this. Yeah, like she just oh, yeah. goes home and like it doesn't. I, I don't know. There was just something about the professionalism of it that just like oh, I feel like yeah. I feel like I've encountered people obviously less severe than that, but in my life, you know what I mean. Something rang more uh, true or or close to home than the first time I'd seen it. Yeah, and yet this time when I watched it, I think I like I got I got the most upset watching her get choked. Like I, oh, this, yeah. this yeah, like, and, like don't get me wrong. Like you would think that a character like this, when when they're finally like put in, under somebody's boot, the, the audience would be going like "fuck yeah" or something like that. No, no, no. All of a sudden, when you see this happening, you're like, "Oh dear God!" You know, and and it's, and it's just it's that was why I asked like, if you needed a hug when it was over, just because that that moment like that comes just five yeah. minutes before the end is so damn visceral. It's it's well, it's the it, the thing that this movie achieves, which is really interesting to me, is that it's fully subjective. Like even though Chief is not actually narrating it, yeah, you realize that you haven't really seen her as who she actually is. You've actually only seen her how they see her. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 amazingly um, cogent in how it's directed. Was I the only one that found her kind of attractive? No, I no, think you're supposed to totally. It's, it's, it's a uniform. <laughs> it's the it's the no it's the uh, same reason uh, I'm I'm uh, weirdly turned on by the by um, the uh, the uh, no the aliens, <laughs> uh, Joss, yeah. the, the aliens in um, in um, goddamn mind in Sorry. aliens no <laughs> um, I'm weirdly turned on by uh, women in positions of absolute authority I think there's something there. Just uh, I wish somebody. Oh, we'll find another way to be around. Around. <laughs> like, whoa! Yeah, I just want a woman to like put on a nice record and give me some pills that, <laughs> yeah, I, that I don't know what they do. Should come here on Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> so you haven't played this game before, um, but what we do now is we want to go through the five, and you know, basically, you get to create your own ballot. Um, Are we going to talk about alternates? So you, yeah, you, okay. you need to basically take away, you know, like. Here were the original five. I want to pull these three off and add these three from this year and, totally. and tell us a little bit about the films that you're adding on. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's such a good list of movies. There, it's a really good year. Uh, if I were to pull any off and sub any in, well, 
One movie I watched for, for this, because I looked at like all the movies that came out in 1975 and tried to find the ones that I hadn't seen that right. were supposed to be good. Uh, one that I hadn't seen was uh, Three Days of the Condor, which I watched, oh. and I did not think was very good. Really? Yeah. Oh, you guys seen that movie recently? I, yeah. I dug it. Three Days of the Condor is my absolute, one of my near misses. I would put it on. Really? If there's something else that I like more, but... Robert Redford's such a dick in that movie. <laughs> uh, I, I but like, not in a way that's like interesting. He's no, just like I, really mean to Faye Dunaway for no reason. Uh, it's not for no reason. <laughs> yeah, the reason's because he's a dick. No. No? He needs her to do certain things. <laughs> I know, but then even when it's like, she's like, you okay, it's all right, I'm going to help you. Like, we're friends now. And he's just like, all right, like make he's, me dinner. He never knows that she's for sure not working against him. It's a movie. That movie is so, for me, it's the essay on paranoia. It's the absolute height of, like, what it is like to, first of all, it has my favorite opening setup thing for a thriller, which is that he goes to get lunch and comes back. And oh, yeah. Dead. I love the opening. Yeah. And, but, but what's great about that, what's great about that for me when I watched it is that it sets up the whole rest of the movie of, like, every dickish thing he does is just, like, Nothing. I can't trust anything. Everything is up for grabs. I have no idea who's a random and who's a real person. I have no idea whether anyone is telling me the truth. I need to act accordingly. It's, yeah. it's his ability to kind of sacrifice everything because he literally doesn't know when the next thing is coming. I think he just gets away with a lot because he's handsome. Like, there's, like, a line where, like, Faye Dunaway's like, you're being really mean to me. And he's like, ugh, I didn't even try to rape you. That's that's not a joke. 70s, that's what he says in the movie. 70s. <laughs> but everyone's okay. Okay, that's fine. Anyways, yeah. I, I I liked it. Okay, I didn't. You know, I, I love Condor, but I you know what are you gonna do? Uh, I if if it were up to me, uh, I would. It is. It is up to me. Yes. Uh, I would say take out Barry Lyndon. Yeah. Sub in the passenger, which I know is another Nicholson movie, but I didn't I didn't get to rewatch it for this, but I, I saw it maybe ten years ago and yeah. uh, the Antonioni movie. I, I think that's a great movie. Uh, maybe a little weird for the Oscars. Um, uh, I also like looking at the list. I'm surprised that Man Who Would Be King isn't on here, just because it seems like the big kind of historical drama. Like today, they'd probably give a nomination to. It probably got some like costumey. It got it got stuff, some right? other stuff. Our direction and costumes. Yeah. And stuff. Uh, it's my I would totally sub man who would be king yeah. for Barry Lyndon I feel like of the, they're very similar yeah. they're far superior to me definitely yeah. well if I'm just taking one off I'd take Barry Lyndon and put uh, uh, put Passenger on but uh, man who would be king would probably be like a sixth for yeah. me uh, this is one of those years where I'd actually keep it intact uh, the, like the, this is a monster class even though I'm not crazy about Barry Lyndon as I said like on an emotional level I cannot deny just what it did in terms of achievement like technical achievements I'm like nope this is as good a quintet as you're going to get it's a good so list I, I yeah. keep it intact yeah I, I also I would lose Barry Lyndon um, for many of the same reasons um, and, and for me it would be uh, man it would be king because I think that movie is the tits man that is the greatest <laughs> What's, I haven't actually seen that one what's that one about it's um, based on uh, Richard Kipling Story. It stars Michael Caine and Sean Connery. Oh, cool! And uh, Christopher Plummer. Now you're talking about language. All right. And is mostly about what it's like. Uh, so first of all, it's. Uh, I don't want to. If you have never seen it, um, uh, the the thing that I like the most about it, I will forego mentioning until you've seen it. Okay. But, but it's also um, about uh, the the Masons and kind of 
where there's this whole thing about on the level on the square okay. that like figures into it and it's and it's meta like there's a character who actually is Richard Kipling in it hmm. and and it's just and it's John Huston directing it and it's it's big and colorful and crazy and expansive and has a lot of the themes of Houston's other films but also Connery's performance is both of them him and mm-hmm. Kane have such good chemistry they're so clearly friends off screen they're so good and it's also the movie where Michael Caine met his wife okay. who is uh, and your Caine is in the movie and I have never seen a more beautiful human thing ever person <laughs> you mean Michael Caine right? yeah, yeah. Him too. yeah. <laughs> and Sean Connery yeah uh, it's, I'll have to check that out for sure it's great um, the other one that didn't get mentioned yet that I would absolutely I'm very close to putting in I'm very close on Three Days of the Condor I really think it's like popcorn movie good yeah. Absolutely at its best, especially for that period of time. Um, but the other one that kind of doesn't get a lot of love now is the Hal Ashby film Shampoo, which is really smart and really funny. And uh, Julie Christie and Goldie Hawn and Warren Beatty, and it's this comedy of manners, and it's sort of like easy to dismiss um, a lighter, kind of more farcical thing. But it's it's um, it's like School for Scandal. It's like a it's like a multiple guy sleeping with a lot of women kind of comedy and it, it gets Southern California um, culture perfect in much the same way that Nashville gets Southern culture perfect it gets SoCal perfect and it's really fun and great and uh, kind of doesn't get talked about a lot it's, I, I would, it's, it's pretty close for me to being in there it's such a good year but you wouldn't put it on. I wouldn't put it on. The only swap I'd make is I'd throw Man, Man Who Would Be King in instead of Barry Lyndon. So Man Who Would Be King and The Passenger. Yeah. Passengers or The Passenger? The Passenger. And I love The Passenger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved it. Yeah. And the other thing is John Huston is like an American. I could see it being like too British or English, but, you know, because it's John Huston, you think yeah. they could have thrown it in there. Is it fair to say that if this was like a, if this was now, you know, the 10... Ten nominee type thing. These movies. I was thinking yeah, sure. that this yeah. is one of those years when I wish they had had ten because it wouldn't have been hard at all. Yeah, yeah. Builds it up. I also now that I've watched all these movies together, I now have a theory that uh, the the Shining was made because Kubrick lost the Oscar and sort of assembled a movie based on the elements of all these other <laughs> movies. <laughs> That's awesome. It's got Scatman Carruthers and Jack Nicholson from the movie that won. Uh, it's got uh, uh, Shelley Duvall from Nashville, oh, and it's a horror movie based on a popular book like Jaws. Wow. wow. Mic drop. That. <laughs> that is amazing. I'm going to leave this. This has been the do-over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Eat it, Whitey. Spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we have a good idea where this is going to land, but 1975, does it need a do-over? It's a tough one to argue. Should we vote just for shits and giggles? Sure. Yeah, I guess. All right. <laughs> Nobody did anyone else feel like they didn't want to come here today? Like, <laughs> like so hard. It's so hard. I would. I would maybe just because I love Jaws so much. I think it's such a perfect movie. I would like maybe argue to have it Jaws win Best Picture. But then if someone's like, "Oh, it's a bit of paperwork." I'd be like, okay, keep one flow over the cookie's nest. That's fine. That's a great movie. Well, it will be a bit of paperwork. We'll okay, then keep we'll, one flow over the cookie's nest. We got two saying that we're. I, gonna, I, I, I would keep it as cookie's nest as well. This is one of those years where they got it right. All right, boom, there it is. We got it right. I actually anticipated that I wouldn't think that. 
I, it, just from my recollections of all the movies, I thought, oh, One Foot of the Cuckoo's Nest is one of those movies that's good, but I, I didn't think it was quite as good as uh, as maybe Jaws or like I'd heard such good things about Nashville, but watching it again, man, it's just so good. Yeah, I think so too. I, when I read the stat after I watched the movie and I read the stat that it was, um, uh, that it ran the board, I was like, okay, yeah. I, I get it. There's, there's no way we'll redo this. So there was tentativeness at the beginning, but uh, we'll keep it as it is and One Foot of the Cuckoo's Nest holds the day thanks for coming out guys thanks yeah thanks cool and that as they say is 1975 uh so yeah we did indeed keep one flew over the cuckoo's nest there was no do-over that's our second episode in a row with no do-over boy those 70s man they are strong uh, but listen, thanks again to Ryan, to JM, and to JD, my co-host, my producer, my wonderful friend, Jamie Dew. Uh, we'll be back soon to talk about 1976 for your reconsideration. For Your Reconsideration is a production of Duver Podcasts and Such. To subscribe, share, rate, and review, please visit duvra.com. Podcasts and such.